and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. And here we are, recording together in person again, live from Venice, California. Definitely not live, because this will come out tomorrow. Pre-recorded from Venice, California. There you go. There you go. All right, here we are. This uh, interesting dynamic of actually being right next to each other talking. It's a little different. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. But uh, we are talking about an awesome event we went to, something we had been looking forward to for a while. We got to watch some amazing movies, hang out with some amazing people, and uh, here we are. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because as much as I was looking forward to this event and just everything that comes with with a visit of AJ Ricciardi to Los Angeles, California, this event was even better than I anticipated. Much better. It was really interesting with these two films. I knew one of them was going to be great, but instead they were both amazing, which... Uh, goes to show that once again there is a difference between watching movies at home and watching movies on the big screen and that some movies are shot specifically for the theater right that is what they were meant for that's how certain directors especially i guess you know more classically trained filmmakers that's what they were taught to do was to shoot stuff for the purpose of watching it in a movie theater. And so sometimes when you watch these films, maybe you enjoyed it at home a little bit, but then you go to watch it in the theater for the first time and you're like, it's a whole different experience. Well, the thing is like, what is extremely special about the first film we're going to discuss is how campy it is streaming or on DVD or on Blu-ray if it is if it's even on Blu-ray and how as, as a viewer, I did not feel necessarily connected to the film and I wanted more from the film when I watched it on my screen, but to watch it in person, it almost felt like watching, uh, once upon a time in the West, a Sergio Leone, a Sergio Leone film, because there are some film aspects that overlap with the film we're discussing. I feel like, does that make sense? Yeah, most definitely. It, it, meaning extreme close-ups and extreme use of every inch of the frame. Oh, yeah. And uh, both of the films had the same director, so it was a really unique experience getting to see both these films back-to-back, -back, one of them being a much more, how would you put it, a much more maybe calculated effort, a much more straightforward kind of, Hollywood effort and one being a much more hyper kinetic sporadic Hong Kong style film so very interesting dynamic between the two movies and once again a newfound appreciation for one of them one that I liked but didn't love but after watching on the big screen definitely love well no it's, it's funny because the they're both essentially co-productions uh, of U.S. and Hong Kong filmmaking. And the first film breaks probably 70-30 towards Hong Kong style. And the second film might break 60-40 
to Hollywood style. So it, it, it's funny because I think two episodes ago, we talked about Hidden Strike and how sometimes things can go off the rails when you're trying to find that balance between two styles of filmmaking. Uh, and what's interesting is this film embraced any off the rails aspect and made it its strength. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So before we get into talking about the films, uh, anything new with you? Uh, I got a friend visiting this week. Been fun watching films. Anything new beyond that? I've been looking forward to uh, th these days have been uh, marked on my calendar. Looking forward to watching the films that we saw yesterday and, and doing our little hanging out, working out today. And uh, of course, recording and talking to our listeners. That's right. That's right. And then after this, uh, we've already done our crazy workout for the day. Uh, been having a few little snacks here and there, but been saving ourselves for some epic Hawaiian food tonight. So yes. definitely looking forward to that. And you've got a trip coming up. You're going to be going to uh, Las Vegas. Yes, for I'm uh, taking a road trip one day, going in, picking up someone, coming back. But in, in between, I think it falls on near someone's birthday. So I'm going to uh, swing by and say uh, happy birthday to uh, Sifu Don. Excellent. That's what we wanted to hear. And actually today, one of the films we did get to view so far was we uh, watched Bloody Mary Killers. And what is Bloody Mary Killers? Well, let me tell you, Gavin. Bloody Mary Killers is the Hong Kong cut of Undefeatable, which features a couple of additional side plots uh, or subplots, I should say, takes out some of the critical plot development of Undefeatable and has a few extra characters, including Robin Shu in there. And it's, especially the remastered version from Vinegar Syndrome, looks beautiful. There's a couple of cool little Hong Kong style fight scenes. You get a fight, a friendly fight between Cynthia Rothrock and Robin Shu, which is really special. But overall, Undefeatable is a much better movie. Uh, whereas Blade Mary Killers feels like a true Godfrey Ho project, like a, you know, it, 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 chop and swap type it, like yes. thing, you know, combining two completely or three di completely different movies. This Blade Mary Killers has much more of that feel. Not as bad as some of the other ones, but Undefeatable, as we said, some of the, the key elements that make Undefeatable so special, the soundtrack, uh, a lot of the character development of the Stingray, which makes it kind of, like you were saying earlier, it is a... How did you word it? It's basically a, a horror martial arts action film, but it it it, it follows it follows the the formula of an eighties nineties horror film, right? Uh, or seventies eighties nineties horror film with uh, your lead serial killer being a, a well an undefeatable martial artist. Yeah, and uh, so. Still enjoyable, and I'd highly recommend you pick up that Blu-ray because, man, the special features. It's so beautiful. We, yeah, and the, the just a copy of the film itself watching it, we're noticing so many little details, some mistakes. You know, you catch a few stunt doubles and so yeah. forth, but that's how crystal clear the copy is. So, yes, yeah, it's really beautiful, and uh, it's funny. Moving forward, it's gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm interested to see how filmmakers with such clear film you know mm -hmm. projections now how filmmakers are going to get around the stunt double uh the stunt double like gap right you know they'll probably have to go back to the the never wait you only live twice version of sean connery's character stuntman jumping off yep rolling over and then him popping up from out of the scene there you go the hide the stuntman uh do you have any martial arts movie news I feel like, yes, 
we almost talked about it the last time. Uh, Michael Jai White has a new film coming out. The trailer dropped. The his it's his western. Oh, the Outlaw Johnny Black. Yes, yes. It's yes. not so new, but it's we haven't talked about right. it yet. The spiritual successor to Black Dynamite. Uh, I've seen the trailer. Looks good. Uh, honestly, does not look anywhere near as good as Black Dynamite. Yeah. but I could be su- surprised. Hopefully, I am pleasantly surprised. I'm I'm hoping for a top seven Michael Jai White film from it. And if it comes in at seventh place, that'll make me very happy. And if you're asking me to name the other six, I don't know what they are, but Black Dynamite and uh, Blood and Bone are on that list. There you go. So that's exciting. For me, the main announcement that I want to bring to everyone's attention, this was just announced in the last couple of days, uh, my uh, friends, both Frank Jang and the great Michael Wirth, B martial arts movie star from the 90s, Television star, martial arts extraordinaire, Bruce Bloitation expert, filmmaker, director, writer, all that jazz. Uh, their documentary they put together uh, the, on Bruce Bloitation has been hitting the festival rounds and been doing uh, very, very well. But uh, they have a new project. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the the documentary uh, that they produced that premiered at uh, Tribeca is making the rounds also. So... Uh, I believe the name is They Call Me Bruce. Uh, is that correct? Hold on. Now I'm drawing a blank. Uh, well, there is that comedy with They Call Me Bruce right. in the late 80s with no, John Sorry, Yoon. Enter the Clones of Bruce Lee. That's why I was thinking yes. They Call Me Bruce. My bad. Uh, Enter the Clones of Bruce Lee has been doing really good, so keep an eye out for that. But anyway, the main announcement I want to make is their new project, from Michael Worth, and it's called House of Fangs. So pretty much, so they have to raise the money for it, but what it's going to be is an homage to 1970s Kung Fu films. It is a film, and they're trying to bring together the likes of Dragon Lee, Angela Mao, Bruce Lei, uh, Don Wong Tao, uh, and Bruce Lai. So you can- that's very nice. I know, and I was actually, coincidentally enough, just this morning talking- to Michael Worth about it. Uh, I uh, commented on one of his stories and he happened to be on Instagram. So we were chatting back and forth about it. And yeah, he's really trying to get this going. And that's why they're doing the, uh, what uh, what you would call the, like the Indigo, sorry, the Indigo fundraising for it. Okay. Uh, to raise that extra money that, you know, they don't get from the investors, which a lot of films are doing that now and doing quite well. I mean, look at Black Creek with Cynthia Rothrock. Absolutely. So, but this is, no offense to Black Creek, and I hope it does great, and I love all those people involved with it. This is the movie I'd want to see. Th- could you imagine Angela Mao back on the screen, Dragon Lee, Bruce Lai, and supposedly uh, on one of the other posts, I can't remember if it was Frank's, I think Andy Chang is who they want to bring in as the fight choreographer uh, to do the film. So and, we're talking, and, and just just for our listeners, Andy Chang has worked on. Oh, uh, I mean, well, he's worked with Michael Worth on U.S. Seals too, but he's mm-hmm. a former member of the Jackie Chan stunt team. I guess right. you don't say former; they're always a member of the Jackie for Chan life. stunt team. But I mean, he's worked on all sorts of projects. Uh, he worked on Martial Law, obviously, yes. with you, uh, the same show you worked on. Uh, he's worked on, uh, into the badlands, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And he's been a very prolific fight choreographer, martial arts director for the last 20, 30 years. So, uh, definitely we can hope this gets made. Uh, so I can read the little description off of Indigo 
House of Fangs, the working title, is an action film that will update the classic Hong Kong-style kung fu movie in modern America, bringing back to the big screen some well-known stars of these past fan-favorite movies to be paired up with contemporary action stars and filmmakers of the West. The shooting script is currently in the rewrite stage, and the plot is partially under wraps, but is being described as Dragon Gate Inn meets John Mm. Wick. As a group of American assassins hiding out in a rural Chinese restaurant discover the owners of the establishment serve up much more than just good food. A dark action comedy written by action star and director Michael Wirth from U.S. Seals 2, One and Man, Appleseed, with partners including Frank Jang and the producers of Enter the Clones of Bruce. We are partially funded but need the rabid fans of the genre to make this one-of-a-kind project explode to vivid life. Written with the style and sensibilities of the modern set action film, but flowing with the passion and tone of the classic stories and characters from the Shaw Brothers, Five Deadly Venoms, Golden Harvest, Bob Keto, and Seasonal Films Corporation, Secret Rivals, of old. Where this production will be a significant pioneer in the genre is in bringing back a handful of well-known stars of the 1970s and 1980s Hong Kong action film genre from the obscurity of retirement into a tour de force ensemble with action stars of the current and recent crop of fighters of American cinema. Several have already agreed to appear while we await your support and donations to help get the rest on the dotted line. Authoritative martial arts stars such as Angela Mao Ying, Enter the Dragon, Dragon Lee, the clones of Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, Enter the Game of Death, Chu Chi Ling, Duel of the Seven Tigers, Bruce Lai, Bruce Lee, the Mad the Myth, Don Wong Tao, the Hot, the Cool, and the Vicious, and Bruce Leung, Kung Fu Hustle, have already expressed interest in returning to the screen together in this energetic and violent cinematic ride, but they need you now to help finish the deal. Action sequences are to be arranged by Jackie Chan's son team member Andy Chang, U.S. Seals 2, The Rundown, who is a perfect fusion of Eastern and Western cinema combat experience. A phenomenal director and choreographer himself, with his roots within the Hong Kong filmmaking community, makes Andy an ideal partner on this project. You can simply support us on a small scale while receiving exclusive emailed updates or venture into the deeper waters and join the producing team and even be featured in the film taking your licks from one of the more of the grades through the following and above actors are not excuse me though the following and the above actors are not confirmed until the campaign closes and the deal finalized their involvement in the film is already in negotiation with specific story characters and some of it not uh, excuse me and some if not all will be involved these are examples of the stars you could be seeing in action once again in house of thanks so a little bit of a uh, whew, long-winded right there. Thanks. I, I did pretty good till the end. So yeah, sounds like an amazing project. I will be donating to it. I will hopefully be able to contribute in any way possible. This is like a dream project for me to be involved I know, in. This, so, this is a, when you, when you, as you're reading that, and even before you read it, I'm like, this is, uh, you are, you are the target audience. Uh-huh. And there's a reason for that. So for a lot of fans who might not be completely familiar with this genre, though if you're listening to our podcast, you probably are. And based on our listens for when we uh, when we talk about our classic kung fu films, we know you guys are fans too. But like, it's just I don't know that hearing this, I'm I'm excited for you. I love this genre. You know, my my I, I always gravitate towards Samo's work. But what what I really love about recording this podcast is I'm getting to know the '70s martial arts even better. You know than than my my, I, I, I'm more than ankle deep in it. I may be up to my knee. AJ is fully immersed in it. And to see, to know these uh, artists potentially coming together for this project, also, I know, I, I'm just, I'm excited for you and also excited because I think all the right people are involved. This, yes. is, this isn't just uh, a run at fans. This is something, uh, this is something that 
just sounds so much fun. Like Dragon Inn is actually one of my favorite films. Oh, I mean, either the, the original King Who or, mm -hmm. you know, the remake, both yes. fantastic films. I but love those films. The plot they're describing sounds great. It it's, does. It sounds like there are, you know, some key uh, filmmaking styles and inspiration, but without stealing anything from yes. anyone. You've got very competent people behind the scenes as well. Uh, I'm not sure if Michael would consider directing, but he's a very uh, talented filmmaker, uh, writer, it, all of the above. Obviously, he's written the script uh, for the most part, so I'm sure we'll get a very high-quality storyline there. This absolutely doesn't sound like a... I, I love campy films. Mm -hmm. This does not sound like a camp fest. This sounds like a, a, like a love letter to this very special time. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like kind of what Man with the Iron Fist wanted to be. Yes. But I feel like when, especially you're raising all the funds yourself and you have more creative control, you'll probably get the vision that you want more so. Like even, you know, the RZA, obviously Man with the Iron Fist was kind of a big movie and probably mm -hmm. creative control, a lot of that was out of his hands. Yep. So I'm very excited for this. Yep. Everyone, please, you can find it on Indiegogo. Uh, hit us up. Uh, or follow Frank Jang or Michael Worth on Facebook and Instagram. I believe Michael Worth is uh, Zen Outlaw on Instagram. Uh, so you can get updated on that information and donate. And yeah, really excited for this project. Once again, not only do I love 70s Kung Fu films, I'm a huge, massive uh, Bruce Lai fan. Yep. So once again, another difference we have with our good friend Sifu Alex Richter, uh, the Kung Fu Genius podcast. But see, I, I love the Bruce Bruceploitation genre. But the 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 one star that I was a legitimate fan of was Bruce Lai. And I loved his Bruce Bloitation films, but I really loved more so the movies he did where he wasn't trying to play Bruce. Uh, there's a handful of examples of them. They all have Bruce Bloitation elements within them, mm -hmm. or usually, but he's just such a great star, such a great martial artist, such great charisma. And yeah. I'd love to see him get to come back onto the screen. That'd and, be so much, so much fun. Yeah. And man, Angela Mao, could you imagine? Everybody loves Angela Mao. That's just hands down. So, anyways, enough about that. Uh, that is our big martial arts movie news, uh, and we'll keep you updated on that one as we hear more. But now, let's begin to talk about the double screening we went to at the New Beverly Cinema last night. We were treated to some extra Van Damage, a double screening of Jean-Claude Van Damme films directed by Choi Hart. That's right. We got to see both the 1997 actioner double team and the 1998 actioner knockoff so first they screen knockoff then they scream double team and it was mm -hmm. an interesting choice because everyone's like oh man they should have done double team first this is before we watched it like oh you gotta do the better one first keep people enticed this and that but i can hands down say i'm really glad they did knockoff first i i, I first off i was 100 percent on board with what people were saying like why aren't they doing double team first it's more accessible it is it's refined. Mm -hmm. It's a refined product that audiences, you know, when we go to when we go to New Beverly, sometimes we're going with martial art bands, but also there are people who are there for the first time. So you want them to get hooked. So an accessible film, a great accessible film like Double Team is a is is the is the hook. And then they stay for for the kinetic over the top yes. knockoff. But Watching the films in the order that we did, and of course, like our feeling for knockoff, my feeling for knockoff uh, changed exponentially uh, from having seen it as a streaming service movie or a DVD film to what I saw on the big screen. A hundred percent agreed. And that was a huge shocker for me. So for people that don't know or aren't familiar, 
with Jean-Claude Van Damme's filmography or even when he was a huge star. So late 80s, early 90s, Van Damme is like one of the biggest action stars on the planet, especially in America. And then he kind of had a downward trajectory pretty much, I would say, after Street Fighter. It's like the movies, some of the movies were still doing, you know, uh, okay. Like Sudden Death grossed about $65 million in the box office, I think. You know, so it made back its budget plus some, you know, with marketing probably made a, and then his films would probably still make, you know, big money on VHS rentals and Absolutely. sales, which was a whole extra thing back then. But uh, of his original run of theatrical, uh, two of his last three were these films. So the last three theatrical releases he had were Double Team, Knock Off, the two movies we're talking about today, and then Universal Soldier, The Return. So this was kind of, there was a lot going on in his personal life. He was having, you know, issues with drug use, a cocaine problem that was later diagnosed to be part of the fact that he was bipolar. And so it was just a tumultuous time for him. And it can be shown, it's reflected in the, a lot of the films from that era. So it's Absolutely. interesting because Double Team, the first one, is still much more a cohesive Hollywood big budget action picture with a very <laughs> genre-specific kind of auteur in Choi Hark. Yes. But it's much more, as you said, refined, controlled, uh, copacetic all around. And I've always loved that film, even though it, you know, and even with Dennis Rodman as the co-star, which I've always found very endearing and enjoyed his performance. And I think in retrospect, people like it a lot more. It was, it's funny to say that the, the film with Dennis Rodman is the much more coherent film. Then he did knockoff after that. And knockoff is, you can see it in Van Damme's performance that he was definitely mentally not a hundred percent there. He was look like having a great time, but also may have been under the influence of stuff. I don't know, mm -hmm. but knockoff is just, uh, there's no other way to put it aside from like hyperkinetic, over the top picture, but it's very interesting because our, uh, I guess you would say curator or, uh, yeah, yeah. Last night at the screenings, uh, I'm not sure who he was, but much better than the usual uh, guy we get, but he gave a great little introduction to the films and he, he made a really good point where he said knockoff is much more like the zany, crazy Hong Kong film action films. We love to show at the new Beverly. And I never thought about it like that. I always looked at knockoff as like a Hollywood Van Damme picture that just mm -hmm. happened to be directed by Choi Hark. But then when I approached it in this way of watching it, like a, B movie Hong Kong film or like a crazy entry in the girls with guns subgenre or, you know, a Donnie Yen lower budget one from the early nineties, these films that were kind of caught in this weird period as the Hong Kong film industry was changing, evolving, getting ready for the handover, getting ready for the mainland Chinese market, doing more period pictures. We had a lot of these zany contemporary, sometimes low budget, sometimes not so low budget. But then as soon as I started looking at knockoff as one, a film of that nature, it changed everything for uh, me. Absolutely. And I, I mean, it's it's interesting because obviously it's released in 1998, one year after uh, Double Team. Uh, all, the movie essentially surrounds the 1997 handover, the which is one of the, you know, there there are a few events that happen in this in the past century as one of the key events for global politics. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the key events. And certainly I would say probably the last 
key event of that century, 1997 uh, month was Ju- July. I think they said something along those lines. And for yeah. people that aren't familiar, so Hong Kong was a British territory for 150 years. Yes. Uh, due to a trade agreement with China, and the trade agreement ended in 1997. So Hong Kong was officially handed back from the British to the Chinese government, with Hong Kong being allotted 50 years of self-autonomy. That's been, unfortunately, in the last decade or so, kind of uh, up in the air. But yeah, that was part of the the trade agreement. So the film is literally like based, starts like two days before the handover and Ends a few hours after. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And so it was a huge deal. And so the film is set around that whole incident. Not the only movie to be set. Uh, no, not at all. Hong and Kong th- 97, right? The Alec yeah. Kinn film with uh, Robert Patrick. I, th- I think there's a Jeremy Irons film as well. I okay. Who directed that film. But it, uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of films that are set around ha- what's ha- 1997. Yeah. And there are films that were shot shortly before that, shortly after that, sort of reflecting on, on what that moment meant or could mean to a lot of people uh but there is there is this really special period as we all know 70s 80s 90s of fantastic hong kong filmmaking and as we inch closer to 1997 uh it's like the volume got turned up on these films and the pace of shooting got turned up on these films probably because people weren't sure what was going to happen in 1997 so it's really it's really uh I don't know how where, how to phrase this film. Yes, it is a zany action, kinetic, maybe B-movie, maybe subgenre. But at the same time, knowing that it was shot in the reverse order that we saw the screening, it's as if Choi Hark saw something in Van Damme uh, in Double Team and wanted to team up with him yet again and create a film that captured wherever he was in his life and then just put what he's going through or what he could convey on screen in a very volatile three-day period of this this Hong Kong uh of the turnover uh of the 97 handover. So it just it's it's like what you see going through Van Damme where he's kind of rushing through scenes and uh it's what you see that's happening also outside of his particular performance. Yeah, and so let's talk for listeners that aren't familiar. Let's talk a little bit about Choi Hark, who definitely is an interesting, definitely an auteur, right? Choi Hark has a very distinct filmmaking style. Uh, a very, you know, his storylines kind of center a lot of times around similar plot elements. He's very interesting though because he is a filmmaker that'll jump from contemporary to period to contemporary mm-hmm. to period. He jumps across genres, but visually there's always a certain flair. He works with sometimes same actors. Uh, he also writes a lot of his own films. Uh, so I guess in that sense, he's he can be kind of compared to Tarantino in the sense if he jumps from genre to genre, but also he some I mean sometimes he takes a much more straightforward approach to his films other times he takes a very as we said creative groundbreaking uh ingenious approach experimental sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but uh he was actually originally from Vietnam he's a Chinese he was 
part of a Chinese family, born in Vietnam, immigrated over to Hong Kong, then eventually made his way over to America where he's to study film. So he studied first at Southern Methodist University, uh, University and then at the University of Texas, Austin, and he graduated in 1975. So it's really interesting. He's kind of part of uh, almost like he's definitely part of the new Hong Kong new wave cinema, right? And he's also comparable to some of his compatriots in America, part of this like first generation of Hong Kong filmmakers to actually have gone to film school and he trained in America. So uh, his first like big major motion picture, he directed himself, uh, The Butterfly Murders. And then he did a couple of other films in the early 80s. Uh, I'd say one of his first real big massive films that a lot of fans of the genre know is Zoo Warriors from the Magic mm -hmm. Mountain, which is a very groundbreaking film. Uh, fantasy period, uh, Chinese martial arts piece. Uh, and then, I mean, he directed uh, of one of the Aces Goes Places films. And then mm -hmm. uh, he did, uh, it, it's funny, he jumps across genre to genre, but I really, as we were talking about earlier, I'd say his magnum opus, his, you know, big, big, like most classic film most people would know is Once Upon a Time in China, which uh, resurrected Jet Li's career. It began this trend towards the period set martial arts picture. It resurrected the Wong Fei Hung character. And when you watch that film, you have to watch like the new criterion release of it. It's, it's such a beautifully shot film. So Choi Hark, he liked to experiment with the action. He liked to experiment with the way he would sh shoot and edit camera angles, interesting, innovative choices. Uh, yet he can also shoot a film like once upon a time in China, where some of it just looks like classic Hollywood cinema, just so beautiful. You see that he is a classically trained filmmaker that has modern innovative ideas always brewing in his head so this first film we're talking about of the double screening knockoff is definitely one with the interesting ideas brewing in his head and as we were joking last night with uh some of our compatriots that were there it was almost like yes they did double team first which is much more of the kind of uh i had to use the word well executed but cleanly executed maybe Hollywood action picture. This one was more so, it was kind of like, all right, look, we're making another movie with Van Damme. We're going to give you half the budget, but let you do whatever the heck you want. Just get Van Damme out of our hair. He wants to shoot in Hong Kong. Don't even need to check in with us. Don't need to send us the dailies. Just make us something that we can release. So have fun, do whatever the heck you want. And I feel like that may have been the approach and it was just sort of like, okay. You know, it, it's it's... It is probably one of uh, the most fun film screening experiences I've had. Now, there, there are a lot of films that I've looked forward to watching and am so happy to see them on the big screen. I mean, they're classic films. They're new films that are being released. I mean, we've talked about it before. Like, I remember when Rumble in the Bronx was being released on the American screens. I was so excited to see that. So there's no question that there have been films along the way that have had my attention before the release. I see part of the trailer. I'm like, I don't want to see anymore. I don't want anything blown. This film, with all of that said, and all this film, Knockoff, was absolutely an enjoyable film screening experience. I would put it on from a film screening experience, possibly 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10. The audience was fantastic mm -hmm. the opening curation the 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 tone that was set using a quote from um uh roger, roger ebert. ebert about double team yeah about double team but he said it applies to both films 
Uh, it was a great, he's like, it's the most preposterous. It's the most preposterous action film I've ever seen. And I don't mean that as a criticism. Yes. <laughs> and it, it, it just, he set the tone. The popcorn was fantastic. Uh, the audience was great. There are a lot of people there that we knew and some people that we were associates with, uh, say on Twitter or X and on Instagram. Right. So it was just, it was just this perfect environment for a film that I had passed up on enjoying in the past. Yes. Liked, but didn't love. Yeah. Background noise. Watch, even as a kid, when I first saw it, I was like, okay, this is enjoyable, but not as good as Double Team. Yeah. And yeah. And it's funny. Every time I've every time I've watched this film, so this was probably the third time full full way through. I've seen like clips before. Like I've I'll, if it's on, I'll watch portions of it. Every time I've seen it, I'm like, man, Jean-Claude really messed up his opportunity to work with Sammo Hung because Sammo Hung was doing the action choreography. And I'm like, Sammo must have been so disappointed. It's just not, it's just not Sammo caliber. Mm. It, it's almost there, but Every moment where there's something that's going great, it just doesn't pan out because it looks like it looks like Jean-Claude Van Damme isn't fully invested in the right. choreography. However, you put that on the big screen or you put this film on the big screen, it looks like Samuel found Samuel and Choi Hart found a way to make this film work and work around whatever craziness was going on in Jean-Claude Van Damme's life. And the audience was reacting to it. Uh, but like, like I said in the opening, it kind of reminded me of a Sergio, the, uh, Sergio Leone film where, uh, you know, there there are scenes, you know, just like in Once Upon a Time in the West, you had a close-up of that's covering the entire screen, Charles Bronson's eyes. Then you have he uh, Henry Fonda's eyes and it's going back and forth. There are scenes where I don't know if Jean-Claude Van Damme knows his lines or if they are just shooting his eyes and they're not shooting his mouth and they're having him dub in his lines. I don't know what the deal is. But it works because it is just so kinetic. The way they shoot the action scenes, the way they blur the camera, make you feel like you're in the in the in the sequence. Sometimes the uh, the action is sped up. Sometimes it's slower. It's just it's it's zany. It's loony. It's it's kinetic. Uh, the editing, the camera work, the comedy, and and we'll, we'll talk about the comedy. But Rob Schneider <laughs> is fantastic in the film. That's that's uh, Otis the dog is having a nightmare. It looks yeah. like that's uh, okay, Odie. But yeah, so let's actually get into the plot real quick. So the plot has a lot of holes, and if you take the time to try to break them all down and figure out what's going on, you're gonna be left without any answers. So the basic premise is Jean Claude Van Damme and Rob Schneider run a gene. Uh, clothing business, V6 Jeans in Hong Kong. Jean-Claude Van Damme is the former king of knockoffs, but he's gone legit now. He's got a legit clothing brand. Uh, as we mentioned, it's the Hong Kong handover in a couple days. And unfortunately, it looks like somebody is knocking off their jeans. Not only that, the Russian mob is involved, and we come to find out that they have developed a nanobomb that they're trying to smuggle in through knocked off goods. So the CIA gets involved. Jean-Claude Van Damme's quote unquote adopted family, his former knockoff uh, family that he used to work with, his Hong Kong brother, they're involved. Uh, another mob boss named Skinny's involved, as we mentioned, the Russian mob. And so all these characters come to uh, 
uh, how would you say it? A head, a collision. Uh, it, it's it's like true romance where everybody oh, is good. Yeah. where everybody is sort of after one person at the end of the at the end of the uh, at the end of this, but but it's not as linear as true romance. And it that's is, putting it nicely. Yeah. Uh, let's just say <laughs> there's a lot of double identity going on. A lot of it where, wait, that person actually works for them. Oh, wait, that person's that. So we don't even need to go into details. But that's the basic premise. A lot of plot holes, a lot of inconsistencies. But that's okay because cast-wise, as we said, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Rob Schneider, I hate to say they even have great chemistry because, as it once again, Jean-Claude Van Damme is an almost like an absentee star in this film in the sense of it, it it's like he wanted to be there but didn't know he was there. Yes, and you know, and you know that's great because as a as a partner to Rob Schneider, who's who might be running a legitimate business but also might be a CIA analyst who helped with the Gulf War, all this all lines are just thrown in. It's like a crazy person talking, throwing in lines, yeah. and then that's that's the character. Or a but, couple of 12-year-olds wrote an action movie, and then they yeah. say, like, no, 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 let's change it to where actually this guy's, oh, yeah, that's cool, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but but with, uh, with Jean-Claude Van Damme not necessarily being completely present as an actor, they wrote, basically wrote that in as, as a, his character. He's not completely present. Rob Schneider's waiting for him before the, this unique race that they have. There, I don't know. So he's always waiting for where were you? I was waiting for you, and then he goes, "Oh, I gotta go." And he's like, "They're always like he's always chasing after Jean Claude Van Damme, who's who's not necessarily present, but the way it was written, they wrote it so that he's not necessarily present." And Rob Schneider gives a fantastic performance in the sense of with what he was given to work with, uh, in terms of like the script and even this plot and everything. He he manages to produce comedy where other actors wouldn't be able to right yes he's able to deliver even on certain lines and it, certain scenarios and the thing is you can tell he he did the best he could with what he was given and i think does a great job because of that and there's some legitimate laughs you know what yeah, i no, mean absolutely and this isn't like one of his starring role films where he has to carry the movie with like zany comedy this is hey you're the glue of this film. Glue these scenes together, make it work, and uh, have fun. Yeah, and that's that's essentially what it does. And and we probably will get to it. But one thing that I was really surprised that I really caught on on the new Beverly screen, you know, of course, shown through film only, only showing film, um, is how involved he was in his action scenes. Yes. Was he doubled at times? I'm sure. But there are times where I, I told AJ after the film, he just pulled a Jackie Chan where he did a stunt. His character did a stunt. And I'm like, oh, that's not him. And then he turns around and you see his face. I'm like, oh, he did the stunt. And even on the, the boat at the end, I remember the first time I watched as a kid, he does a great judo hip throw on a yes. guy. Uh, and I remember even when I first saw it, I was like, wow, that was impressive. But in terms of the cast, we should also mention some of the other people involved. So obviously Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, Rob Schneider, uh, Layla Rockin. I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name right, who I remember best from The Big Hit with Mark mm -hmm. Wahlberg. We've got Michael Wong, who is a classic Hong Kong character actor who's quite often involved in these co-productions yes. because of the fact that he's actually American Chinese uh, and speaks Eng English as his first language. And apparently, from what I've heard, doesn't really even speak 
that much Cantonese, but yeah, he played almost an identical role in, we were talking about Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt Jackie Chan, Chan he, yeah. uh, but I've, I've always enjoyed his performances, always enjoyed his movies. He's had some legitimate great roles uh, that he's been nominated for. Uh, but so we've the, got, the, I think there's also an Academy Award winner in this, right? Or just a nominee, maybe a nominee. I'm not sure if Paul Sorvino ever Paul won, Sorvino, but we've yeah. got Par, Paul, Sor, yeah, Paul Sorvino in there. Uh, you've got some other, uh, well-known Hong Kong Guaylo stuntmen. I mean, Mark Hopkins in there, mm-hmm. Jeff Wolf, uh, some other guys that were around at that time. And so, yeah, that's, a, that's another thing is if you love Hong Kong, like I do, and you love going to Hong Kong, this is just a great film because shot entirely in Hong Kong on the streets of Hong Kong, it'd be so hard to shoot a film like this nowadays without a ginormous budget, which obviously this is a Hollywood picture that has a bigger budget because it's so expensive to shoot in Hong Kong. Right. So it really captures the essence and that, uh, lively energy of Hong Kong itself, uh, as an Island territory, you know, as a city, as however you want to, uh, as a special administrative region of China, you know, it's, uh, Really cool in that sense as well. Now, the action itself. So we've mentioned Sammo Hung's involved. You got Choi Hark there. You've got Jean-Claude Van Damme definitely being doubled a lot, especially for some of the martial arts stuff. Probably more so just because at this point, he's kind of, you know, a big star. He's a little absentee. He's got his mental health issues going on. So the action has that cool experimental flair that both Choi Hark and Sammo Hung were working with at that time, kind of the blurred camera effects, the quick, quick editing, the unique camera angles. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But seeing this film on the big screen, as we just mentioned, it was shot for the big screen. It was shot for a theatrical experience. And you realize now how innovative it is and what they were going for. And I think this film is the perfect film to utilize all of these experimental tactics when you have a star that's like, I'm not going to do that kick maybe, or I'm not going to do that. So it's like, all right, if we got to kind of hide the action, let's make it as over the top as we can. And so what it's very reminiscent to me is almost like a TVB Hong Kong action series style action, but with a big budget movie production value. So they're doing some really like crazy zany movements and chase scenes and this and that and i guess i i wish we could have had a little more straightforward martial arts action from van damme but i just don't think that was an option at the time and so the way that Choi hark and sammo hung work around that is genius and as we said it, it's funny you actually see some great physicality from uh rob schneider uh, Layla Rockin, as we said, yeah, uh, uh, Car- Mike- Carmen Lee, who plays yes. the detective. She's great. Uh, Michael Wong has some great like shootout stuff. Uh, the, the actress from, I'm sorry, Big Hit, the Big Hit. Uh, yeah, uh, Layla Roshan yeah, or yes, Rokin. Thank you. you yeah. mentioned it. But I mean, like, and Michael, just like the the stunt work that they do. So basically what you want from your lead actor, particularly a Hong Kong film, because the standard is so high. Let's not, let's, let's not forget the the body and the face for these for these Hong Kong actors, uh, they're they're one in the same. Like you can't have an action film without seeing their face present, right? And so where Jean Claude Van Damme wasn't necessarily available to do that on so many in so many instances during this film, the co stars all stepped up and did that. 
and that provided the authenticity that we as audience members want from our Hong Kong film. And what's also great is like the stunts of sliding down stairs and rails and, and coming across uh, essentially zip lines. Uh, they, the, the actors who could do those stunts and whose face could be on screen, those were the ones who were written to do those stunts. Yeah. And then your actor who couldn't do those stunts was on, you know, had oil or water on the floor and was sliding back and forth. Right. So that was a big a hit from the audience. Too. I know. And when I first saw it, I'm like, come on, put down the gun, stop sliding, stand up and fight. When I saw it on this mini TV screen, but when I'm when I'm watching in the movie theater, I'm like, wow, this is pretty epic. And that was mostly that's fun. the funny part is when you watch that, that's Van Dam doing a lot of that. In fact, some of the more intricate stuff where you expect them to cut, you see Van Dam pop up and it's him. It's like, yeah, it's like he wanted to do that because it was unique and different for him, and not just him being the guy that kicks, right? Yes. So uh, for a little bit of context, in the finale, it's on a, a giant ship with. Uh, Containers. containers and they kind of have an accident a bunch of water so it's just supposed to be water i think yeah yeah and he's sliding around in between the uh, containers shooting and it's very intricate and bouncing off the walls and it's actually very cool and i was surprised how much the audience reacted to it in such a great positive way oh they were amazing and we should say we always eat at the place next door and when i got there there was two guys at the front one guy wearing a van damme shirt uh I liked his shirt and he liked my Dennis Rodman shirt I had on. But we go in to eat and we come out and the line was around the corner. We've never been there that early for any screening where the line's around the corner. And we thought, oh my God. And when, then we get in there. Luckily, it was it didn't seem as busy as the line made it. But then it did eventually fill yes, up. Yes, it did. So it the entire, filled up. There, was, there was one was, seat open next yeah. to AJ and a guy sat in it. In the next screening. Oh, no, no, that's right. In the yeah. first one, you're right. That's yeah, right. It was packed. Yeah, it was packed. And so the audience is reacting great and... Uh, before we move into double team, because we got to start talking about the next one. Uh, yeah, you get a lot of the the action sequences. Yes, they defy the laws of gravity. They defy all laws of physics. They are totally like, who would have even thought of that? But that's the mind of Choi Hark. And as jo Gavin and I were joking earlier, it's you'll get one very grounded art house type piece from Choi Hark. Beautiful, like award-winning film, something like Once Upon a Time in China, mm -hmm. and then you'll get a knockoff next, right? You're yeah. like, so he he doesn't worry, it seems, about necessarily a reputation and consistency or this or that. It's just he has such a creative mind that sometimes he's like, you know what? I'm going to do a straightforward period piece, re, uh, he, re reignite the Wong Fei-Hung film series I grew up watching add my own kind of artistic flair and then I'm going to do Once Upon a Time in China. But then by the time you get to like Once Upon a Time in China 5, they're doing all crazy stuff in there. Well, you know, I think that's that's the thing. I think there are a lot of film directors who you can rely on a certain caliber of work that early on they're risk takers mm -hmm. and then they set their brand and they stick to that brand. I think that's the one thing I would say about Choi Hark is he's risk taking his entire career and that's also what you can say about Sammo hung as well mm -hmm. and so that i love their pairing together and that's not the first time they paired together i think the final once upon a time in china is with Sammo hung doing the choreography that's right so like they are their partnership particularly at that time in their careers was like a match made in 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 kinetic purgatory heaven yes i love it i love it uh yeah, so knockoff. If you ever get the random chance to go see it, and this was a beautiful copy. They even said it was on loan from Sony, I think. And they they said this is in pristine condition, and they were right. It was just so beautiful. 
But yeah, if you ever for some reason randomly have the chance to watch knockoff, or even if you could watch it in a proper home theater setting on a giant, you know, projector screen or on a flat screen, give it another shot, you know, turn off all your devices and just sit and watch it for the fun, crazy ass movie it is yes i have a newfound appreciation for it in the future when i go to watch it again maybe in a couple years i that's exactly how i will do it i will sit down and give it a proper watch or maybe just wait another five or six years and if they do another screening at the new beverly go back again absolutely 100 percent. so now let's move into the second film the first film to be made actually of the two double team so once again back-to-back efforts uh with jean-claude van and choi hark now double team is the what feels like the bigger Hollywood picture, as we said. It is slicker, in a sense. It is more stylized, in a sense. It still has kind of the experimental feel that Choi Hark likes to bring. Uh, its plot is definitely much more coherent and straightforward and familiar to audiences, definitely derivative of other action figure pictures in the past. The basic premise is Jean-Claude Van Damme plays a secret agent of sorts, And the opening sequence is his retirement mission. If he completes it, he gets to retire. He, of course, completes it, and he retires. Fast forward a few years later, and the main terrorist, he was always after Stavros, played by the great Mickey Rourke, has uh, resurfaced, and they want him to bring him in because he's the only one that can. He reluctantly agrees to come out of retirement, even though his wife doesn't want him to, and she's pregnant with their first child. And in the process of trying to take down Stavros, it is revealed he's gone weak in a sense. He has a clear shot, but it could injure an innocent woman and child, and he decides not to take it. And when trying to bring down Stavros, he fails, he's injured, and he wakes up in something called the colony, which is an island colony <laughs> for past secret agents that are too valuable to let go of. Uh and but but they're but, also like not just secret agents from it's not from a colony all, from all agencies around yeah. the world from all governments so pretty much these agents that people think have died they bring to this island colony and force them because they can't let them loose in society because they're too valuable yet they've gone soft so that's also uh, a weakness to their government agency so pretty much they're forced to live on this island together Uh, all their loved ones think they're dead and they work for these governments kind of as uh, analysts, excuse me. And so Jean-Claude Van Damme's stuck there. You know, obviously he's angry, but then he finds out that Stavros has kind of, in a way, abducted his wife and child, or excuse me, his not yet born child. So he hatches a plan to escape from the colony, the inescapable island, And in the process, when he does so, he teams up with an arms dealer he meets earlier in the movie uh, named Yaz, played by the great Dennis Rodman, the Mm -hmm. worm, in one of uh, his two or three acting roles he did in the 90s. And yeah, that's the setup. So, uh, And, and, you know, so like looking at the critical review, like Dennis Rodman received three like bad awards for this, like worst supporting mm-hmm. actor, worst new star, worst uh, duo on screen. It's probably like some kind of MTV or a Raspberry Award or Raz. But I think that a lot of that came around the time when he was in midst of his of the Chicago Bulls 
second three P because this movie came out in ninety seven. Mm-hmm. The Bulls had their run, I think ninety six through ninety eight. Someone can right. correct Those, me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the the second trifecta right yeah. after uh, Michael Jordan came back from baseball because he left to go play baseball because that's what he truly wanted to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, our audience from like internationally that maybe don't remember nineties basketball so well are going to be like, huh? so as as a footnote. Obviously, I'm uh, a child of the 80s, so I, I spent, you know, I'm born in the 80s, grew up the, the significant part of my childhood throughout the 90s, and so 90s basketball, and then Gavin being a little bit older than me, but 90s basketball was special, it and was. the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, that entire run, incredible. Everybody was watching it. If you haven't seen the documentary series, The Last Dance, go and watch it. That will update you on a lot of this information, but Dennis Rodman at that time, he was he was a what? he was he, a linchpin for oh, the for the team. And oh, he, he had just had like a bad run, not a bad run, but he didn't fit with the with the Spurs. So they he got a lot of heat for that. And then when uh, Phil Jackson uh, and Jerry Krause brought him to the Bulls, a lot of people thought that oh, this is this is a terrible fit. And he helped elevate them to win the go and, on that run. And they talk about it in the documentary series and stuff. And for people that don't know, he's considered one of the greatest rebounders of all time, right? Is that? Yes. Yeah. yeah outside of Charles Oakley. Right. And, and that's a joke. Uh, although not in my mind. But so, uh, when did, so he was Pistons first. Pistons then Spurs, Spurs, then, then Bulls, the then Bulls. Lakers. Then, okay. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, but he, his personal life was what made the news a lot. And that's the crazy part is he had this absolutely insane personal life, but then still was able to perform on uh you know on the court and even in the midst of one of their playoff runs he takes a 48 hour trip to vegas and just parties it up i mean he was dating madonna he married carmen electra mm-hmm. in a wedding dress he and, and and during all of this he's shooting this film with jean-claude van damme who as aj pointed out earlier was at a unique space in his life but I feel like in this film, he still hadn't quite fallen off the edge yet. We get a much more grounded yes. and present Jean-Claude Van Damme in his acting performance. He you know, he still hadn't evolved to the actor he is nowadays, but yeah. you get a much more coherent Van Damme. Like, he's there. He knows what's going on. He wants to be there. He gets to give much more of a dramatic performance as opposed to the happy-go-lucky, almost cuckoo performance in knockoff. Uh, where it's like, I'm happy or I'm extremely angry. This one, there's much more <laughs> character uh, development for him. But I feel like the automatic attachment of Jean-Claude Van Damme instantly had critics like, this movie sucks even before watching it. Because oh, yeah. And then, and then, of course, they're doing this. Excuse me, Rodman. Rodman. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's uh, what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Essentially, people were, people were attacking a film that I had never seen, by the way. I'd only seen the opening and the closing. But I was always waiting for... A special opportunity to so watch. That's right. This. Last night was your first time. Was my first viewing. viewing. Okay. Start so to finish. For me, when I first saw it as a kid, shortly after it came out, a couple years later, uh, you know, once again, once I was allowed to start watching all rated movies and so forth, I remember watching it, being blown away by the movie overall as an action picture, this and that. But I remember being like, I thought Rodman was kind of cool in that. Like and I thought, you know, but the 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 general consensus was how terrible he was and how terrible the movie was overall and this and that. But I'm like, he's quite endearing. Like I I like his performance. I mean, he's kind of Rodman playing Rodman, but there's some sincerity to it. And mm-hmm. even his acting isn't the worst. By, there's been way worse sports stars that segue yeah. into acting, well, and for the, sure. And the screenwriters were great. The screenwriters yeah. wrote lines for a defensive NBA player, yeah. like offense, 
offense gets the glory, defense wins the championship. But there are lines throughout, like uh, he throws he throws something to he throws a ball and it misses and air ball. I never missed twice. And he throws and he he hits yeah, his brother, thing and it explodes. I never missed twice. So and some of some of the acting moments, like some of you know, mostly he's playing it very comical and cool and like I'm this weird arms dealer that's also into highly fetishized stuff almost. But there's a few moments where like he gets angry or dramatic and actually does quite well. He does the, fine. The yeah. one thing though that is an honest critique is there's a few lines he delivers and it is legitimately hard to understand what he's saying because he kind of slurs his words sometimes, but that's just Dennis Rodman's style of speech. Yeah. I mean, so the, yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's on the, on the screenwriters because you're all, also your director is this is his American film debut. So he's, he's a Hong Kong film director. So how is he going to, we should say American released film because American. he did previously direct the master with Jet Li film that, in America. That, there you go. That's yeah. correct. Thank you very much. That's me but, being nitpicky. No, no, it's actually good because we should uh, correct Wikipedia for that. Yeah. We should send a note to them, but, uh, where there might be some acting shortcomings in this film, there is, an Academy Award winner in mm -hmm. this one for sure. Mm -hmm. Paul Sorvino may only have been a nominee, if I'm not mistaken. We can look that up. But we have someone who brings the acting chops to this film. Uh, to this film, and as AJ said, he could read the phone book in this film and make us feel feel the phone book. And that's the great Mickey Rourke. So for people that don't know, Mickey Rourke in the '80s was like one of the hottest young stars to be, and he started some incredible films. Uh, some that were critically well-received, some box office-wise. And he was supposed to be like the next hot thing. Then, in, And he was a very high-level amateur boxer before he became an acting star. In the early 90s, he's like, you know what? I don't want to act anymore. I'm going to become a pro boxer. And everyone's like, what the hell? I think he had like five pro fights. Did pretty well. People you know, will be kind of critical of it and be like, he fought tomato cans. At the end of the day, he was fighting pro boxing. I want to say he maybe even trained Freddie Roach. I don't even know. But then he decides to come out of boxing into acting. And a lot of people are like, oh, he was never the same, this and that. But I, he's just a very, another, once again, some of the most talented people in the arts in general, music, Hollywood, whatever, they're going to have interesting lifestyles. When you have this level of genius in, in the arts, just like in the science, science and math too, look how many of these prolific uh, mathematicians, scientists, their personal lives were just insane or all over the place, right? Same thing with artists. When you're that good at your particular art form, you're going to have some uh, eccentric qualities to your personal life. So anyways, this is kind of the second wave of Mickey Rourke's career at the beginning. Uh, I mean, he's probably had four waves, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So that uh, so here we are. We're getting the what I call the bodybuilding Mickey Rourke era, which his physique is on full display at the end of this film. And he looks great. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's still the original looking Mickey work too. As we were talking about last night, a lot of people are like, Oh, well, his face got all messed up from boxing. I was like, no, nah, I think it was more questionable plastic surgery choices later. Cause in this film, he still looks like classic Mickey work for the most part, just, you know, he's really jacked. So some of the dialogue as the lead villain Stavros in this film, you know, script wise, he's not necessarily given the most to work with. And I don't mean that in a huge critique, it's a straightforward action film, but he can make anything work. He has a moment at the beginning of the film where when they're trying to bring him down, once again, his young son gets killed. Uh, I think it's either his maybe wife or the, the nanny of the child. They never say she gets killed. And so he's going on a rant to 
uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's a short little thing, but it's, you kill my boy, mister. Mister, you're going to pay for that. And like the actual lines themselves aren't brilliant in any means, but the way he performs, the authenticity he brings to that, you're like, this dude is legitimately, because he's a terrorist. He's a sociopathic terrorist that kills people. But it's like he said, all those people are killed, mister. Most of them deserve to die. But my boy, my boy <laughs> was only six years old, mister. You're going to pay for that. Like it's, it, it, it's like his monologue in the first Expendables film. It, it seems it's almost so out of place how good it is. And so his performance throughout this film is great. I don't care what anybody says. Mickey Rourke does a fantastic job and really brings a legitimate sense of acting to this film. A lot of the supporting actors are great. Yeah, absolutely. Goldsmith, the Goldsmith character is great. Yes. Uh, uh, Rob Kamen. That's right. So there is a uh, Rob. And you know what? He actually does a really good job. And he does. So one of my all-time favorite kickboxer slash Muay Thai uh, fighters, a legend, Rob Kamen uh, from Majiro Gym in Holland, a good friend of our instructor, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. A lot of the Majiro Gym style is part of the Sugarfoot kickboxing curriculum due to uh, Coach Shooky Ron. So huge inspiration for me. And he acted in, in a couple of films, uh, Blood Fist with Don the Dragon Wilson, but also a couple of Van Damme films. His role in Maximum Risk was a little bit better, which yes. by the way, so they always show trailers at these New Beverly screenings. The trailer for Maximum Risk that they showed, wow. I didn't remember the trailer and that some of it is definitely dialogue. They filmed just for the trailer. I will say this, but that is one of the coolest cut trailers I've ever seen. So yeah. I love Maximum Risk now in retrospect. We, Gavin and I have talked about this a little bit, but the trailer makes it look like a much more fast paced movie. It's a slow burner and I, I really enjoy it as an adult, but that trailer was great, but let's not segue too much yeah. down the Maximum Risk rabbit hole. But yeah, so, so we're talking about uh, uh, co-stars in this film. Yep. Rob Kamen has a nice role. He's he's obviously very angry with whatever happened. Yes, between, between him his, and uh, Van Damme's character. So you, you get a couple of moments. You get to see his form, great form, uh, with when it comes to some strikes. Yeah. However, you know that we don't get to see too much more of that. But that's okay. It, it's just really nice to see. That's the thing that's, that you get with a lot of Hong Kong films. Uh, you know, we go back to the 80s, you get uh, Jackie Chan fighting Benny the Jet Urquidez, uh, Yuen Biao fighting Peter Sugarford Cunningham. So what we had with this film is we did have a, I believe by then, retired professional mm -hmm. boxer, Mickey Rourke, as your villain. You did have Rob Kamen in the film, and I know that's not the first film that uh, Jean-Claude Van, Van Damme worked with him on, but what I'm saying is you had real fighters in the film and that is something that is i don't want to say a prerequisite for hong kong films but it's sort of an unwritten prerequisite for hong kong films yep and so talking about these guys and the delivery and the action let's talk about the action overall so this film has all types of action it's got fight scenes it's got shootouts it's got explosions it's got car chases uh it's got on foot chases it's got a little bit of like gymnastics type work it's got some straightforward fights it's got some crazy wire work fights mm -hmm. it's so the fight choreographer for this one so samuel hung did do some special action direction which a lot of people saw that in the credits and they're like well but the main choreographer was uh xiong xin xin uh who's most famous for being clubfoot in uh the once upon a time in china series and being jet lee's uh stunt double throughout those films especially after he hurt his ankle in once upon a time in china one but uh so yeah first of all a lot of the shootouts 
I really love the gun design in this film. A lot of the guns have this cool dynamic look where they're like the, the top chamber is like moving. I, I'm not sure what kind of gun that is, but it gives a very dynamic look. A lot of cool explosions. Yes, some CG ones that I, Gavin and I were talking about. I actually kind of enjoy some of the close-ups of Van Damme's face as the CG explosion is behind him. I still kind of stands the test of time, in my opinion. People, so our second crowd for double team, a lot of the first crowd cleared out. And this is the first time I've ever seen this, where there was a new wave of people coming just mm -hmm. to watch Double Team and buying tickets. And so it was a full house again. This one, there was a little more laughter. We had an obnoxious laughter guy a couple rows back uh, laughing at stuff that you don't necessarily need to laugh at. But overall, I still think the shootouts stand the test of time. And there's a lot of cool uh, uh, Choi Hark elements within, uh, especially the shootouts and stuff. You know, you got close-ups and zooms and blurred effect and really stylized editing choices and camera angles, which adds a, a dynamic flair to them. Uh, you've got the chase scenes are cool, right? There's a few of those. Uh, and in terms of the martial arts in action, though, you already talked about Rob came into short league game to throw like one kick. That looks good. But uh, there's a couple of key players who deliver in their action scenes. One of those being Dennis Rodman. And he has a great little fight scene. Uh, and I honestly don't think he's doubled too much for it. I mean, yeah. they obviously, it would have been, you know, not difficult to find a double for him, but you specifically very much need to find a six foot 10 guy or whatever. But he has a great little fight scene where they really utilize his body uh, structure to accentuate the action. They're not trying I mean, to have him do anything crazy, but, but he does a lot of cool kicks because for him, he doesn't have to kick that high because everybody's at his waist level. Well, you know, it, it and that's that's the other thing. We were just talking about like the silent Hong Kong prerequisite to be in a in a film is you have to have some fight experience. Mm -hmm. And the truth is like Dennis Rodman was known as one of the bad boys of basketball. And that's that's uh, a, a nickname that was given to the Detroit Pistons. So he knows how to be physical. Clearly, he also uh, one thing that's very famous or was sort of famous or known about him in the 90s. Uh, he credited taking ballet classes to how well he did for rebounds. So instead of like a lot of other players who would jump up and face it and pull the rebound down and like, you know, swivel their elbows out. He would actually tip the ball, kind of go on to like a, a demi plie or plie and and like tip the ball to himself. So this this is someone who had physicality beyond just the basketball court. And he had sought that out to improve his life on the basketball court, which makes total sense. That fight scene you pointed out, I I'm not that I forgot about it, but there's so much happening in these two films. I wasn't even going to bring it up, but you're spot on. It's it's a really well done fight scene. He looks really good on film, and that may be one of the best and most unique analysis we've ever had on this podcast with your subject matter uh, expertise <laughs> in both '90s basketball, which Gavin's a huge fan of, and the fact that you are the director of operations for the dance department at Colburn School. This is so, true. Uh, I'm I'm like, wow, that is a great. Uh, I don't think anybody, and I'm establishing it here. I don't think anybody's ever thought about that and put that out in the universe. So excellent job. But yes, this fight scene, he uses his long limbs really well. Mm -hmm. You know, he's kicking guys in the head from the ground, which normally when you see that done in a movie, they have to use edits and cuts to make it look realistic. And physically you would, if you think about it later, it's literally impossible. Him, you see it clear cut from a, like a wide angle shot of him kicking a dude in the head from the ground because that's yes. how long his legs are. Yes. Right. And it's, 
that main fight scene in the hospital that we're talking about, it's so quick, it's so fast and well executed and just clean. And it's like, wow, that was really good. Uh, Van Damme, once again, a lot of shootout stuff. He gets, there's some martial arts stuff thrown within the early shootouts, but I think most of that he has doubled for. There's a really cool sequence where he slips on a bunch of Coke cans and does like a 360 kick. Uh huh. Definitely being doubled. He gets a really cool, intricate fight with the fight choreographer himself, uh, Xiong Xinxin or Xinxin Xiong, depending on how he's credited, uh, which is very cool. Like, but most of that is Van Damme kind of just standing there and blocking and, uh, Xiong Xinxin doing the action. And he's obviously using a lot of wire work, but he's this cool kind of assassin that kicks off his shoes and then has knives that he's holding between his toes. And you actually oh, yeah, see that's him such a do great it. scene. And there was a few of the laughing idiots that were still laughing in it, but most of the audience you could tell was literally like, you hear people go like, but the, and that's he, why the, even that one guy, like there was one guy who is a holdout laugher. Yeah. Like when he's holding the knives with his toes, I'm sorry, he's holding a knife with yeah. his toes. You literally, they do a close up of his foot. And yeah, now could he do all those kicks? Not necessarily, but the fact that he's holding his leg up in the air, holding a little pot, like, uh, uh, not, like a switchblade, like a switchblade. There we go. In between his toes. You're like, holy crap. So that's a really cool, even if. Van Damme's being doubled in it. Even if he doesn't do like hardly anything in that fight scene, he throws a few kicks and so forth. Just the really cool, intricate nature of it. There's some great music that goes with it as well. Yes. That's awesome. Then we get into our finale, which is at, they don't establish which like stadium it's at, but it it's feels at, like a Coliseum. It's a Coliseum of sorts. And it's a final showdown between Van Damme, Mickey Rourke, Rodman, and a tiger. Yeah. Throw in a baby. <laughs> and some landmines and a uh, henchman and, a, and for, a whole row of Coke uh, vending machines for good measure and Coca Cola. Yeah, I mean yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme's in the movies. Hey, oh, uh, and so you get a, a a very interesting finale. And but the cool part is the ending fight between Mickey Rourke and Van Damme's kind of in two parts. Uh, the second part being the the bigger chunk of it. And even though Van Damme might be getting doubled for a lot of that, really cool, fast kind of. Uh, jump cut editing almost where it's it, it breaks the rules of cinema where like you never go from this angle to this angle it's purposely like cuts from one double kick to the next <laughs> kick to yes. the next and a lot of that may have been because he was getting doubled but it's done to such stylish cool effect that it works yes uh, could i watch an entire movie of that style of action probably not but it, it does a great while a great job of accentuating the kicks and then it also will cut to like slow motion shots and make you work getting kicked uh and so, yeah, we get a great finale. And Mickey Rourke himself in the fight scenes throughout does yes. a great job. Yes, he's doubled too, especially when his character is kicking, but he does a lot of great boxing technique. You see him kind of do a little boxing shuffle and his hand stance. And, yeah, it, it does. You know, uh, you, there's something extremely authentic about even when he's not throwing and he's just kind of doing that boxing shuffle, he just looks really good on film. Yeah. And uh, overall, he's just uh, very physical. He brings he, a great physicality to the role. You know, it's interesting. We, we've we've done top 10, top five lists in the past. One of the lists was top five, like, villains. We might have to go to top 30, but mm -hmm. he's part of, he would be part of that conversation. Yeah, he's definitely really good in this film as the Stavros character. So, overall, Double Team is the much more slickly produced professional professional Hollywood executed big budget action picture, clean, crisp, clear, easily digestible for any audience, but with some very cool, innovative techniques. Uh, 
and the now I feel in retrospect much more appreciated performance of Dennis Rodman. Yes. Knockoff was the hyperkinetic, crazy, much more Hong Kong feeling film that of the two is still, I feel, the slightly lesser quality film. But when you approach it from a the new perspective of like treating it more like a Hong Kong movie, and when you get to watch it in the big on the big screen, definitely a newfound appreciation for it, a new love for it. And they are both super fun movies. I would consider knockoff more like a quote unquote genre B movie and double team as much more of like a big budget Hollywood spy movie that is very 1990s. And I mean that in the best way. Absolutely. And I think that that's spot on. And like for me going into these films, I probably would have given like knockoff maybe 30% uh, rating out of 100%. And I was excited to see double team. Like, would I have gone to these films if AJ weren't coming to town? Yes. But AJ was in town. We're definitely going to go see these. If they weren't showing knockoff, walking, going up to this evening, I would have been okay with that. I would, in a heartbeat, go back to knockoff if it was a two-night screening. Yes. Would I go back to double team if it was a two-night screening? Maybe not, but it is the better film. Mm -hmm. But knockoff is a ride. It is a great experience. Now, both of these films are available. If you don't have them on Blu-ray or DVD, uh, knockoff is available on Tubi. Uh Double Team is available, but I think you have to rent it. With that said, would I recommend you watch it on Knockoff? Hey, maybe watch Knockoff on Tubi. Sure, you could go ahead and do that. Or you could hold out for an extremely amazing experience. This might only be a once-in-a-lifetime experience for us. Mm -hmm. I don't know when Knockoff's going to come back to a big screen. But if it's playing in your neighborhood, your county, your state, in your country, yeah, I think it's worth it. Agreed. Agreed, my man. Fine. Great final notes. Uh, we had a fantastic time hanging out. Uh, we got to meet some people in person uh, that mostly you interact with uh, the Twitter or the X crowd, uh, I guess. Uh, but also our good friend, Mr. Aaron Vargas was there, upcoming uh, stuntman actor extraordinaire. Uh, always fun to hang out with him uh, and see him. We also got to uh, meet uh, a couple of other people that run... Uh, Twitter channels, right? Mm -hmm. So we we ran into Jackson Boren, <clears throat> Liam O'Donnell, and uh, Jordan Santa Cana, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. At least that is his X handle. Oh yeah, that looks about right. I think. Yeah. So it was it was great running into these guys. I mean, like, and you, you mentioned know, we met Liam, right? Yes. Yes. Liam so O'Donnell. the the director of Beyond Skyline. Uh, really cool guy. Uh, so we got to meet and hang out with, uh, all these people always fun to hang out with like-minded, uh, individuals that appreciate these genre films. So, uh, didn't really prepare anything for language corner. You have any ideas? Um, let me think, you know what? I'm going off the top of my head. Let's look up. It should be a word that we know, right? What? Okay. I know a word. I know a for word. what? For it should be something we know and don't have to look up. Okay. I got it. It's knockoff or fake. Oh, okay. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Okay. So in uh in Chinese, especially if you're gonna buy something that's fake, it's jiada. So jenda is real, jiada is fake. Jiada. Yeah, jiada, the D E. 
jada like the of like the uh, uh, that you put after something like of something so and in, in japanese it's sagi 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 oh, that's easy I, to remember which i think is like fake but it's not it, yeah it's fake or knockoff like or you can call someone sagi hey you're 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 a fake sagi okay yeah so so in chinese real is jenda 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 ma like is it real or jiada jiada is fake okay japanese uh real is honmono uh and fake is sagi oh all right there we go all right. So like quite the funny part is quite often when I'm trying to explain the Bruceploitation genre to Chinese speakers, because remember, the Bruceploitation genre was more big in Western countries, right? So and in mainland China, they weren't even getting these films <laughs> no, at that time. So <laughs> I'll explain to people, you know, like, oh, there's these actors. And so I'll call them the Jia Da Li Xiaolong, the fake Bruce Lee's. And they're like, yes. huh? And they have to explain that there was movies where it's not really Bruce Lee. The story's about Bruce Lee, but this actor is not Bruce Lee. Uh-huh. It's fake Bruce Lee. So well, it's like, you know. like Gong Fu Pian Guan Yu Li Xiaolong, Dong Chi Bu Shi Zhen Da Li Xiaolong, Shi Jia Da Li Xiaolong. What? Like, these actors look like Bruce Lee. Like their name, their name sound like Xiaolong. So I'm gonna translate all this into Japanese. Are you guys ready? All right. No, no. <laughs> oh. All right. So with that said, yeah, how do you say the words again? Jiada. Jiada is real and no, Jiada is fake. Jenda is real. Jenda is real. Jada is fake. Mm-hmm. Hommono is real. Sagi or sagimono, mono means thing, is fake. All right, my man. This has been fun. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Hope you learned a lot. And we will be back with you next time. Peace. Peace.